A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome back to the History Hit World Wars podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers, and you join me as I've just had a fascinating chat with Professor Ian Johnson. He's written a book called Faustian Bargain, The Soviet-German Partnership and the Origins of the Second World War. And you can catch up on that in a future podcast where we delve into the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. If you want to keep an eye on that, then you can follow us on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2 or on Instagram at James Rogers History. But in this episode, we're focusing on the First World War, on the Somme, that huge epoch-defining battle that marked the tragic consequences of industrialised warfare. In fact, it's not only the biggest and bloodiest battle of the First World War, but it's the bloodiest battle in British history. It's become enshrined within British culture as a symbol of the brave soldiers, yeah, but also the tragic loss of life. But how is it remembered from a German perspective? Is the Somme remembered at all, and how does it compare to the battles of Verdun or Tannenberg? Well, to find out, in an episode first recorded for Dan Snow's History Hit, Dan was joined by one of Germany's leading military historians, the fantastic Rob Schaefer. Thanks for joining us this week. It is a huge week in military history and indeed in, in commemoration, full stop. It's the Battle of the Somme, which, as you know, casts an enormous shadow in, in the British national story. It's the bloodiest, the 1st of July is the bloodiest single day in British history, and the Battle of the Somme is the bloodiest battle in British history. Of course, it went on till November. I'm so excited to talk to you because you can tell me how is it remembered, how is it perceived in Germany? Well, here, the, the, the memory of the Battle of the Somme has been a bit overshadowed by the memory of the Battle uh, of Verdun. So the Somme isn't something that is very much remembered here uh, on our side of the channel. Verdun was the huge German effort to bleed the French white in the, in the first half of 1916. Is it more remembered because it's just an epic German-French battle and it sort of defines or has contributed to that important relationship between Germany and France? Or is it remembered because there was more German casualties? No, I think um, the, the reason is that um, before the National Socialist takeover in the 1930s, it was the Battle of the Somme that was actually the more remembered battle and the commemorated battle. 
But um, with the takeover of the Nazis, they found that um, as we in German historiography, the Somme was seen as a defensive battle, even though that sounds odd because we were occupying enemy territory. And an offensive was something the Nazis could use for propaganda reasons. They couldn't use a defense or a defensive battle on the Somme for their propaganda. So um, the, 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 it changed in the 1930s, 1940s. And the, the commemoration and the remembrance about the Battle of Verdun took over, whereas before it was just as in England, our major battle, which everyone remembered, was the Somme. That is really fascinating. So a couple of questions there. First of all, do people, you, you've mentioned before in previous podcasts, people in Germany don't have a huge amount of time and interest in First World War. Is the Battle of Verdun today something that bucks that trend? Is, has Germany been engaged with the commemorations for Verdun? Yes, yes. There were huge commemorations. You've probably seen them in the on television, I suppose. Um, there were huge commemorative events uh, in and around Douaumont in uh, at Verdun with French and uh, German officials meeting there. German and French schoolchildren reenacting a battle in modern dance <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is our still today. Um, this is something uh, German commemoration very much focuses on. But I'm very interested to hear that in the 1920s, it was the Somme that Germany focused on. Now, why is that? Because Germany fought so many enormous battles in World War I. Tannenberg out in the east, the Great Offensive 1914, Ypres in 15, the Somme, a huge attempt, the Kaiserschlacht to win the war in 1980. Why remember the Somme in particular? Well, I think the Battle of the Somme symbolized what most Germans thought Germany was fighting for um, the Somme symbolized the defense of the fatherland. It was seen as a bit of like a like an extended watch on the Rhine. You know, it was it was the advanced watch on the Rhine, which had been brought forward to the Somme. There were German soldiers there trying to stem um, um, an English or French or Allied attack, um, keeping the fatherland safe. And that was the reason why it was seen as important and why it was used in nineteen in the nineteen twenties and early nineteen thirties as as propaganda. It was it was similar to the French experience of Verdun. We did not let you pass. That is the same thing. Well, and was there a perception, uh, or was there a realization in Germany at the time that what the British and French had thrown at them on the Somme was almost unprecedented in its intensity and its use of munitions and and men? Yes, yes, that is something that is very much uh, very very obvious in especially when you look at German letters and diaries written during the period. The amount of ammunition fired on the German positions, the amount of soldiers brought forward. It was um, Materialschlacht, a material battle. That is, that was something that on that scale had never before uh, been experienced on the German side. And the soldiers were very clear about it. I'm interested to hear that because I've, I've been a bit worried and that I'd be talking to you and you'd say, do you know what? The Somme, it was like various other battles that went on through 15, 16 and 17. A huge amount of, uh, of, of munitions was laid down. The Brits and the French attacked. Nothing really happened. So it's interesting to hear that the Somme did, even with, <laughs> in that terrible litany of battles, that the Somme did stand out even for the German army. Yes, it stood out for a number of reasons. Well, it started with the preliminary bombardment, which was something that no German soldier had ever experienced before. And from that point on, point onward, everyone knew that this battle would, would be a lot different to the ones that had been fought before. It certainly it was that, that was true from the British point of view that nothing, no bombardment like that had ever been fired before in, in British history. Several days, millions of shells were blasted towards German positions. How did the German troops under that bombardment, well, first of all, how did they survive? And beyond surviving, how did they stay sane under that appalling weight of steel and, and high explosives? 
Well, the German soldiers arrived on the Somme, or the German army arrived at the Somme in October 1914. And from about November 1914, they started um, digging trenches, building fortifications. So they had about 21 months to fortify themselves in there. So when the bombardment started, uh, they could, as you know, fall back into underground shelters, dug deep into the chalk of the Somme, where they were more or less safe uh, from, from, from Allied fire. Um, nevertheless, the psychological ordeal was a totally different matter altogether. So sitting there seven days underground under continuous shell fire was something that, that well, they suffered. They suffered a lot. And you can see that from the letters they sent home, that um, they, they, the only thing they were waiting for is for the, for the British to come to be able to fight back and to retaliate. Another major problem caused by the barrage that is often over forgotten in, in Germany, if you look into the 1920s, when German veterans talk about um, the Battle of the Somme, looking back at it, there is three motives which seem to define or seem to stand for everything which is the Battle of the Somme. And this is artillery fire. The firing continued for the next three months. It didn't, it didn't really slacken or lessen. There was, it was a present thing. It never stopped. Um, but even worse than that was thirst and dust. So whenever German veterans talk about the battle, it's artillery fire or shell fire, thirst and dust. And thirst and dust are caused by the shell fire. So this is from the, from the beginning of the British preliminary bombardment. It was virtually impossible to bring supplies forward. So supply columns were pounded to bits. Water couldn't be brought forward. Food couldn't be brought forward. And the German soldiers didn't have anything to drink. There are the water supplies, the groundwater level at the Somme is very low, so you can't just dig a well or dig into the ground and find water. Um, so this is a constant and something you encounter very often. Rob, you're making it sound like the British generals actually almost achieved their target, which was to just simply blast the German defences, uh, destroy morale, kill and maim the people and remove their desire to go on fighting. I mean, did, did the German army on the Somme ever waver under that bombardment or did they, they no. stay? No, 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 no. They, they would have reached their target if they wouldn't have been fighting the German army, I suppose. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, the, the bombardment itself caused very little physical damage. So um, all along the Western Front, uh, the German army in that week of firing lost about 4,000 men killed. And uh, if you look at Second Army defending the section at the Somme or the sector on the Somme, they suffered about 1,200 casualties dead. So um, even though that was quite bad, uh, it was nothing that could break the German army. So um, when the British came on the 1st of July, um, even though all the um, many of the trenches were leveled and uh, the the weaker defenses had been destroyed, um, the German army was was ready for them. They awaited them. So that's a that's a shockingly small number of of people, really, in the, a terrible number. But they're shockingly small on the scale of the German army. If you look at the yes, if you look at the amount of shells spent and fired and uh, the length of the bombardment, um, it's quite quite uh, astounding, really, that uh, so little men or so few men were. Um, were, were actually killed by it or wounded. That's right, yeah. It's great having you for this interview because we in Britain have heard always so much about the 1st of July 1916, the bloodiest day in the history of the British Army. We hear about the guns stopping. We hear about the, the skylark singing, the, the sun being out, the men 
going over the top to the whistles, lining up heavily laden and marching towards the German trenches that they thought would have been completely obliterated. And then we hear about the slaughter. So talk me through those minutes, but from the German perspective. I mean, what happened minute by minute when the guns, when, when the artillery barrage stopped? What did those Germans in those deep dugouts do? Well, the first thing they did uh, when the barrage lifted uh, was to race to their to their parapets to re- to 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 prepare for the for the British to, to prepare to receive the British attack or to to prepare to welcome them. Um, I think one of the major faults or the major errors made by the British during the, on the first of July was to blow the um, the mine under the Hawthorne Ridge ten minutes before the actual attack. Um, this massive mine, which uh, your cinematographer Melins filmed in this famous Somme film. This was blown 10 minutes in advance of the attack. And uh, even though it was a spectacular explosion, um, it served as a kind of a um, alarm beacon for all the German units on the Western Front that, uh, or along the lines of the front uh, that, uh, that the British were coming. So that gave them more or less um, 10 minutes in advance to prepare for the British attack. So um, that was one of the major errors made on that day i think and this is something that you that is mirrored by all the by the accounts of the units of the Württemberg units who de- defended so rob these german troops are uh, they they must have been were they were they sprinting did they know that every second counted yes they knew that well, well and you have to you have to say that uh, the the allied offensive or the british offensive didn't come as a surprise anyway they knew that it was happening they only didn't know when even before the start of the preliminary bombardment every german soldier knew that the british were up to something and they would be at them at some point. So, uh, and after seven days of shelling, um, they were very keen uh, to be able to fire back and to retaliate. So, when the when the barrage lifted and the Beaumont Hamel mine had been detonated at the Hawthorne Redoubt, they were within seconds. They were on the parapet in movements. Pre- well, ac- actually, going through movements which they had been practicing for twenty-one months. So, this is something they were very experience in doing that every every man knew what he what what needed to be done it was just like a it was a, something that had been practiced for for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before that and they must have been a bit shocked by the devastation that, that greeted them on the battle because if they'd been okay in the deep dugouts the surface was probably quite destroyed yes the surface was destroyed many of the of the trenches trenches had been leveled um it uh, yes yes but that that to be honest with you this is something that isn't very often mentioned in the german accounts so they that was probably something they expected so they didn't write about it what did the germans then make of the infantry attack that ensued well that depends it's um one common theme throughout all german accounts written during the battle is that they were surprised by the by the style of the british attack about columns of, of British infantry moving slowly into their fire just to be picked uh, picked up and destroyed. That is something they found very, very, very odd. Many soldiers write about that into, uh, in letters to their parents, to, to, to relatives, that, uh, that this is something they could that they have never seen before. Some even mention, and that's many letters, even mention mounted British officers. So... Um, Whereas all my English colleagues tell me, nah, that didn't happen. I've got a number of uh, German letters from written by soldiers in the front lines to their families from various regiments who note who who, who talk about they were, that they were amazed to see British officers leading their men forward on horseback. <laughs> so this is something 
uh, I found quite interesting because I've never found proof on the British side that this actually happened. But it's something that that turns up in the in the German writing. So the German soldiers were looking at what looked like uh, so the, a deployment from the Battle of Waterloo a hundred years before. Yes, more or less. Yes, yes, yes. That is something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good example. Yeah, yeah. And did any of them? Do any of them speak of the? Did they find it hard or, 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 you know, killing that many people in that short an amount of time? Or, or was that just what everyone got used to? To be honest with you, this is something everyone just got used to. It was, an, it was a hard day. That is quite clear. They were exhausted. As I said, they hadn't drank for, for a long time. They didn't, didn't, didn't eat for a long time. So everyone stretches the fact that this was a, a hot day and that there was a lot of fighting going on but basically they were just going through the motions their gruesome business a job they had to do and something they did quite effectively on the first day that, now that's amazing thank you for all that eyewitness uh, your research there that's that's fascinating as a military historian a lot of brits say that but british military historians now tend to say that you know, the, the the generals might have got it wrong, but but it wasn't a bad plan. It didn't work very well. You know, the, the barbed wire didn't get cut as intended. The German defences were deeper and stronger than, than it was believed. As a German military historian, are, are you critical of the British plan on the first day of the Somme? Or, or do you think the British historians have got it about right? I think the British historians got it about right. I think the British historians got it about right, yes, yes. I think uh, had the bombardment worked as they had thought it would have, um, then it might have been a different matter. But um, I, w I don't criticize the British plan. I don't. What, what, else, should, what else should they have done? What, what would have been the option? That is the question. What, what would you have done? Um, I think uh, there's nothing to criticize about the British attack. The only thing I would criticize, and that is something the German sources criticize, is that it was continued to be fought in that manner. Again and again, throwing themselves forward just to be slaughtered on the German defences, again and again and again, not only on the 1st of July, but also on the 3rd, the 6th, and in the, in the weeks afterwards. And that is something I would criticise, and which was something which the Germans in those days, German generals, German officers, criticised. So you've seen reports from German officers and, and staff officers and generals saying that the British tactics were, uh, well counterproductive for the British, perhaps naive. Uh, and would, you, would you compare that? to? Did they have more respect for the French in the summer of 1916? Throughout the war, the German army had more respect for the French, yes. Not for the French soldiers as such, because uh, they were quite clear that the British soldiers are brave as lions and uh, that there is no doubt about that. But uh, looking at the officers' class and at the non-commissioned officers, the German army rated the French army a lot higher. They, they said that the French were more flexible, um, they were able to think for themselves, to make decisions on their own uh, without receiving further orders, and they, that is something that they didn't find or didn't see in the British. The officer material, uh, they, they, the British officers were seen as sportsmen, not as officers. Rob, this is, uh, you're breaking hearts over here right now. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> no, 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 this is why we get you on History Hit, this is important, it's fantastic. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Now, now let's talk about the rest of the Somme. The Somme battle goes on till November. British historians now tend to say it was it was a victory for Britain. Well, it ended it at the very least. It destroyed a lot of, uh, yes. it ruined a lot of German units, and it provided an extraordinary training ground for British troops who would then go on and score the magnificent victories of 1918. What is yes. your view of the Somme as a whole, strategically? Well, I think this um, this argument is based on hindsight, and we, we shouldn't really. We shouldn't really use that. I think if you want to achieve a learning curve or, or, or if you want to, to learn something, there must be different ways of or other ways than slaughtering 250,000 of your soldiers. Um, if, you, if you look at, um, at the French successes during the Battle of the Somme, they were more, far more successful than the British um, for a number of reasons, but um, they didn't maybe there would an exchange of experiences with the french would have made more more sense than just sending your troops into uh, into a certain depth again and again and again i don't like that learning curve idea it's a it's a inside argument and it's also an argument which brushes over the fact that the germans learned a lot at the somme as well and the lessons the germans learned at the somme in my personal opinion um formed the basis of German successes in the years after 1916. So during the British offensives in 1917 and the German Kaiserschlacht in 1918. Um, this is all based on lessons learned the hard way at the Somme because the Germans had tactical problems on the Somme as well. Many, many, well, most of the German casualties at the Somme could have been avoided if the Germans hadn't stuck to a rigid hold-at-all-costs strategy for a long, long, long period. So uh, not giving any inch of ground to the British and in case ground was lost to retake it with all effort and with all personnel available. That is something that has cost the German army thousands and thousands and thousands of well-trained soldiers for nothing because it didn't matter if the ground had any tactical value. It just it was just about the ground as such. And this is something we had to learn the hard way. Well, I shouldn't say we, the Germans. <laughs> 
the Germans had to learn the hard way. And this is some, one of the major lessons the German army learned on the Somme was not to do that anymore, to be more flexible and to leave ground, to yield ground to the enemy if it wasn't of any worth or value. Um, just one of the few things the German army learned at the Somme. And um, that is often forgotten. I think that is often forgotten. There's a quote that people like to talk about with, with in Britain. When they do talk about the Germans at the Somme, which is not very often, they say, a uh, German source says it was the muddy field grave of the German army. And somehow yes. the British, this huge campaign, this huge battle, although it destroyed the lives of many hundreds of thousands of Brits, it did also do serious and decisive damage to the German army. Do, is, 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 that, is there any grounds in that at all? Yeah, well, there is grounds in it. The, the quote you are you are mentioning is uh, by Hauptmann Hans von Hentig of the of the German Guards. Um, it was a muddy field grave of the German field army, more in the sense that, due to this, well, to to their to their tactical doctrine of slaughtering their own troops in the defense of useless ground, um, they lost a good amount of the army personnel trained in peacetime. So all the experienced troops. Well, many of the experienced troops were found their graves on the Somme. And the army that came out of the Battle of the Somme, even though it had learned a lot, has lo had lost a lot of quality. So many of its officers and NCOs trained before the war were gone. And this is something uh, which, hit, which hit the German army hard and um, something it could never quite recover from, even though it had learned a lot and it had learned a lot of lessons. Morale-wise, it remained unbroken. That is something that is quite clear. So the German army, after the Battle of the Somme, was as, as motivated, if not even more motivated, to fight on um, than the German army before June 1916. So um, personally, I don't think that I don't think that the terrible loss of manpower on, on both sides can be justified in any way, and, I, and that is why I don't like the. Um, this idea of that the German, that the British Army gained from the experience at the Somme, I don't like that argument. This is somehow, t personally, I think this is quite tasteless. Just as the First World War forced everybody to re-examine everything they understood about military military affairs, perhaps we should re-examine military history. Perhaps there was no winner on the Somme; both sides effectively lost. Yes, that is what I would say. That is what I would say. There was no victory at the Somme. Well, there's never, never a victory in war anyway, but um, uh, at the Somme, this is quite clear. This is quite clear. Personally, I do not think that the German army would have been able to repel British offensives in 1917 so effectively and uh, to, to nearly defeat the British army in March 1918 if it hadn't been for the lessons they learned at the Somme. So, in, in fact, the Somme for both sides just marks this appalling escalation of violence, escalation of expertise... Yes. That ended ended in the Titanic battles of 1918. Yes, I would say so. And how is the Somme? Uh, you mentioned people are more focused on Verdun. Will the Somme attract any uh, centenary feeling in, in Germany this year? No, no, no. I think the only thing I've noticed is that the Volksbund is current. The German War Graves Commission is currently collecting money to place um, flowers at Fricourt. Uh, on the 1st of July, on the German military cemetery. This is all I've seen, actually. So you can donate 15 euros, and then they'll buy some flowers, which they'll place for you on the German military cemetery at Fricourt. But uh, as far as I have seen, that is all. Um, there isn't even anything in the media. There's nothing in the newspapers. I didn't see anything. So um, it's it's more or less... It has been more or less forgotten, sadly. And do Germans think that we Brits are a bit weird for, for remembering the history so vividly, for remembering these terrible events of the past? 
No, I don't think they'll, they'll think they think you're mad. I think um, those who realize that there's something going on in Britain, they might be a bit, well, they might criticize the way in which it is celebrated or commemorated. We shouldn't, well, maybe celebrated, but uh, commemorated. And uh, personally, to be honest, uh, I think some, I sometimes wonder myself if, if that is the way to go. It sometimes feels a bit like, still looking at it from the outside, it feels a bit like flag waving, and uh, this is something I do not, I do not quite like. Um, and this is also something you won't see in France, for example. If you, if, if we have this joint commemoration, you don't have the feeling that someone is celebrating a victory. Whereas when I look at what is planned at the Somme, even though they often say it is not, uh, to me it looks like there's people gathering to celebrate a tragic victory, um, which was bought with a lot of blood, but um, it's still a victory. And um, this is something I see see the same. Well, I see it the same way. Rob, that is uh, so useful having your perspective as always. And it's always a great reminder that although historians, we all think we're being very objective all the time, we all have our points of view and our, our context and our backgrounds, uh, which, which color our thinking. So as always... Thank you very much. Now, Rob, everyone listening to this will want to know where they can find out more of this incredible stuff because most people will never have really engaged with, I don't think, German military historians and hearing the stories that they are so familiar with, but from the other side. Let's talk, how can people follow your work? Your, what are you on Twitter? On Twitter, I'm uh, Army Research, G-E-R Army Research. And Other you tweet one, in English on that account, so I anyone around English, the world sometimes, can, can I sometimes you. tweet in German as well, yes, but uh, at my website is uh, gottmittons.co.uk G-O-T-T-M-I-T-U-N-S dot C-O.uk And you've got a book out at the moment as well? I've got a book out at the moment as well with uh, my good friend, Professor Peter Doyle, which is Fritz and Tommy Across the Barbed Wire. I urge everyone to uh, to really engage with Rob's material on that because if, if you, previously untranslated German sources are coming out of Rob every single day. Rob, as always, it's a great privilege having you on History Hit and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again mm. before the summer's over about the perhaps the, the tail end of the Battle of the Somme that gets forgotten <laughs> but uh, saw some ferocious fighting and the emergence of the tank on the battlefield and we oh, yes. like to we like to celebrate the tank <laughs> but i'm very interested to hear what you have to say about its effect on the germans now you won't you won't like it uh-oh okay well <laughs> let's give it a few months and i'm ready for another dose of realism rob thank you very much indeed as always all the best <laughs> the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.